0: From St. Paul's second epistle to Timothy, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, amen. Good morning all. Anybody here fighting a pork hangover from last night? Lord have mercy. Um, Here we are in week four of our four-week sermon series on St. Paul's epistle, to Timothy, his second one. And uh, if you want to go back and look at the other ones, you can always catch old sermons on podcast or on the website. There is a little card on the welcome table that will show you how to get to either of those two things. But as I mentioned in my first sermon four weeks ago, the one thing I want you to appreciate from this sermon series most importantly is, is this, and that's that St. Paul is not just a keen theologian and uh, a keen mind. Uh, he's actually a uh, he's actually at his heart, Paul is, at his heart he is a, a pastor. And what a pastor does then and now, me or Paul, is a, what a pastor does is encourages his people and gives them the tools and the, the strength and the encouragement to become better Christians. And in fact, if you've been with us the past weeks, that's what Paul does. And in week one, he encourages Timothy um, in week two, he gives them examples of uh, uh, metaphors of a soldier and a, an athlete. Last week, I uh, preached a sermon about how Paul uses Scripture to remind Timothy how to live, how to, how to fight the fight in the, in the world. And then today, on week four, as we wrap up our series, we, we, we are introduced into actually, which I find to be, one of the most intensely personal and relationally intimate sections of the entire New Testament. Paul, this this massive intellect, this huge personality, we see a man at the end of his life, and we see his final words. He He says he reflects on the life. He knows he is about to be killed for his faith, and he gives Timothy his famous last words. Before I dive into that, let me ask you a question. It's not rhetorical, it's a real one. If you were in Paul's shoes, if you knew you were to die at any moment, what would you say? Uh, What would you say if if you had to think of it a different way? What if you were forced to summarize your entire life, your entire existential experience in one sentence? What would that sentence be? This might sound kind of weird to you, and maybe it is kind of weird, I'll be honest, but I actually kind of really enjoy cemeteries. And not because I've got some sort of morbid curiosity, but because I love to walk through cemeteries, and especially old ones up north. The ones in Florida aren't quite as good because they're usually just a little plaque. But up north, you can go to an old cemetery, and you can find not just a person's name and date, but you can actually find the epitaph, the words which somebody used to summarize their life. The one-liners that would use to summarize the entire experience of the human heart. Friends, what would yours be if you were forced, and I'm going to challenge you to think about this today, if someone said to you, give me your life in one sentence, what would that sentence be? Here's Paul's. You ready? Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Verse 7. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. See, Paul preached in three-point sermons too, by the way. There's a lot in that verse, actually. There's a lot in that verse. But I want to ask you a question, and this is a biggie. It's profound. Who or what exactly is Paul fighting? He says, I fought the good fight. Well, who are you fighting exactly, Paul? Most most commentators said that what Paul is fighting is the world, the flesh, and the devil, which is what all Christians fight, right? We're all in that fight, fights against the world, the flesh, and the devil. But actually, I'm not going to go there today. I think it's true, but I'm actually going to use Paul's own words to show you what he fights against. And there's three things. I want to look at Paul's fight against God. I want to look at Paul's fight against himself. And then finally, I want to look at Paul's faith in Jesus. So Paul's fight against God, his fight against himself, and then finally the solution, the answer, in his faith in Jesus. So three things. The first thing I am going to look at today is Paul's fight with God. He's fought the good fight. The first person he fought was God himself which might sound kind of strange, right? St. Paul, who is the author of most of the New Testament, he is the greatest Christian missionary and evangelist of all time. The dude, St. Paul, is a rock star. Peter and Paul, the two greatest of the apostles, that man, Paul, spent most of his life, listen, fighting against God. If you know anything about Paul, before his conversion, his name was Saul. And Saul of Tarsus was a fighter against God. You know, it's interesting. God usually picks scrappers. I don't know why this is. I have a guess, but Paul likes to pick, God likes to pick scrappers, the fighters, to do his work. I mean, for example, if you know, in your, you know your Old Testament, in Genesis chapter 32, where we had another guy who's famous. His name's Jacob. You've heard of him. Jacob from the Old Testament, Jacob and God, literally, in verse, chapter 32 of Genesis, Jacob wrestles, fights against God, literally. They go, it's like God goes WWF, man, with, uh, with Jacob. He fights him. He kicks the snot out of him. Finally, he dislocates his shoulder, and God says, you know, you could have saved yourself a lot of trouble, Jacob, if you just listened to me all along, But God wins the fight. God wrestles with Jacob, and then God, listen to this, just like with Saul, he changes his name. God changes Jacob's name after the fight, and God wins. He changes Jacob's name to Israel, which means he who wrestles with God. Now, the name Israel should sound kind of familiar to you, because Jacob, now named Israel, had 12 sons known as the, tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel, and everybody descended from those 12 tribes are known as Israelites. And the point I want you to see here, and this is really profound for you, is that God names his people Israelites, those who wrestle with me. I'll give you another example. Um, Jesus, the Son of God, on the cross cries out from the cross, "My God, my God, why have you abandoned me?" Those are not words. That's those are fighting words, man. Those are wrestling words. The point I want you to see here is that God chooses the scrappers. God wrestles with man. God calls the people that he loves, those who wrestle with me. Now that might sound strange. That might sound strange to you, and for a lot of people it does sound weird. We think God is, you know, the great big Godfather, grandfather in the sky who never makes us do anything or challenges us, but that's just not true. And I want you to consider this. Listen to this. Think about the people who you wrestle with in your own life. Think about those whom you wrestle with. They're the people that are closest to you, right? Your wife, your husband. Is it just me or is that true? <laughs> your kids, your grandkids, your co-workers, your best friends, people at the club that you have dinner with every night, whatever it is, man. The people that you wrestle with are the ones who you are most invested in and the closest with. I mean, you are not going to go to Charlie the Checker today at Publix and give him a hard time for failing his math quiz, right? Do you care about Charlie the Checker at Publix? No, unless Charlie the Checker at Publix is your son or your grandson. The point I want you to see here, this is really important. Listen to this, because it makes a lot more sense to you when you see it through this perspective. That real relationships, intimate relationships with people or with God, friends, are passionate. We fight. We wrestle with those we love, not because we don't love them, but because we do. I mean, think about it. Who are the people in your own family? I just gave it away. Who are the people in your own life whom you wrestle with the most? They are the people in whom you are the most invested. We wrestle with those who are closest to us. And here's the point I want you to see here. God names the people that follow him, Those who wrestle with me. We wrestle with those with whom we are the closest. And I want you to see this as a pastoral matter from me to you. If you wrestle with God, if you are wrestling with God right now, and if you're not, you will. I want you to be encouraged by that. I want you to be strengthened by that, because wrestling with God is not a sign that he doesn't care, but that he does, you see, I'll give you an example. There have been many times in my own life when I have wrestled with God, and it said, you know, like you've all done, why me? What did I do to deserve this, Lord? Or you ever ask God for guidance and direction and help, and all you got was a nothing burger, (laughs) right? Zilch, no response. When was the last time, think about it like this, when was the last time you asked God for something and all you got was silence? Or when did things just sort of like spiral out of control, right? One thing after another, bam, bam, bam. You've done, you've been through this. We're all humans. We live in a fallen, broken world, man. And things just kind of roll out, and it seems like God is a million miles away. Where is he? How is he going to use this? When I first went to graduate school in North Carolina, I will tell you this. uh, I was, I don't know, 22 years old, working on a PhD. I was in way over my head in hindsight, but... I went, had a free ride, and I went, and for the first time in my life, I was completely alone. I had no family there. I had no friends in North Carolina. I didn't know a soul in North Carolina. I had no frat brothers to hang out at Penn State. I had no more no, uh, parties at Beaver Stadium. I was absolutely miserable. God, where are you? But you know what? I can look back now, and I can see his hand all over it. I couldn't see it then. Neither can you. When you're wrestling with God, you can't see it at the moment. But if you think that something happened to you before, man, you can look back and see. I can see it clear as a bell how God was all over me, man, how he used that opportunity to change me, that fight, that wrestle. I can look back now and see God's hand all over it, that he was breaking me, literally. And you know, I'll be honest with you, now, it's going to sound weird, but I'm kind of used to it. (laughs) I'm used to it. I know how God is. I know him intimately now because I've walked with him. And he wrestles with me and I wrestle with him not because I don't matter to him but because I do. He is my father. He is the closest relationship I have. You too. We wrestle the most with those whom we love and who love us. And if you are wrestling with God right now and if you're not, you will. Take heart friends. It's not because God doesn't love you, but because he does. And that's Paul's first point. I fought the good fight, and the first person he fought was God himself. The second person Paul, f- Paul fights is Paul. Let me show you. Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, famous verse, if you uh, want to look it up when you get home, Paul says about himself, he says, I do not understand my own actions, For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. And then later on, a few verses, Paul cries out, it's profound. In Greek, it's even stronger. Wretched man that I am, Paul says, wretched man that I am. Who will free me? Who will free me from this body of death? You know, what Paul's experiencing is one of the greatest barriers to all human flourishing. You know what it is? is one of the greatest motivators for change and one of the biggest inhibitors to growth. And one word, that word is, is guilt. Guilt is a powerful motivator. I should say the avoidance of guilt. The alleviation of guilt causes us to do all sorts of crazy things. To deny reality, right? To, uh, to avoid discussion of things that come up that we've done or have been done to us. To blame others, to blame our situation, to blame God. Friends, guilt is a powerful, powerful motivator. You ever wonder why that is? If Frederick Nietzsche is right and there is no God, then guilt makes no sense at all. But if God is real and loves you, it makes perfect sense. Here's why. Because God uses guilt. He uses it sometimes. i will get to that in a minute but he uses it to provoke us to repentance, to open our eyes to the things that we are doing, to show us where we need to make a change. Friends, guilt can be, I'll get to this in a moment, guilt can be a good thing. It is a powerful motivator that the Holy Spirit gives to us as I submit to you a gift, a call to change our lives, to repent. Let me ask you a question. This is big. This is a biggie. What secret, maybe not even secret, what guilts do you harbor? To use Paul's words, what are the things that you say, wretched man that I am? where well, you fight against literally yourself. What are the things that you hate, but you do it anyway? What are the things that you've hate about yourself that you continue to do, or that you did and you can't forget? The things that you know you should do and you don't. Let me, if you, can I give you some pastoral advice? Listen to that. Look when you're when our look at it like this, right? If if your kids or grandkids are doing something which is dangerous to them, self-destructive, are you going to call them out on it? If you love them, you would, right? That's exactly what good guilt is. It is an opportunity for God to show us, to prick our conscience, to challenge us. Hey, be careful! Watch out! Most people, when they are confronted with guilt, they get angry, right? Most people, at least I know that I do, when I'm confronted with something I know is wrong, I get frustrated and, and, and angry about it. My dad used to say, he'd say, son, nothing stings like an I told you so, right? Which, of course, was him saying, I told you so. <laughs> but I want you to see, this is a really important point. Paul wrestled with himself, but, but, but here's the thing, Paul's guilt led him to repentance Listen, the only only godly purpose of guilt, the only good purpose of guilt, the only useful purpose of guilt is to bring you to repentance, friends. Paul says this, wretched man that I am, who will free me from this body of death? Then he says, but thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see my point? If guilt brings you to a place of change and repentance, good, use it. But once you've done it, leave that guilt at the foot of the cross. To hang on to guilt which has been forgiven from you, to hang on to old stuff you've done when God has taken it from you, denies the power of the cross. Paul fought, Paul fought against God and Paul fought against himself until he met Jesus, until Jesus freed him from that sin. So here's the million dollar question. If there's all this fighting imagery, right? God's fighting, Paul's fighting against God, and he's fighting against himself. Here's the million-dollar question. You ready? Why is that fight good? Did you look at it again? Paul says, I fought the good fight. He didn't say, I fought the long fight. I fought the hard fight. I fought the tenacious fight. He says, I fought the good fight. How in the world is that good? I'm going to show you. Point three, he says, I fought the good fight against God and myself. I finished the race. He's about to die. Here's the key. He says, I have kept the faith. See, those fights against God and against himself taught Paul an important lesson. Listen, that life is hard. (laughs) That existence is struggle. You know, we forget that. Maybe it's because we've got it too easy, but we forget that life is hard. We have raised our children bathed in Purell, right? We have raised our children wearing helmets on their big wheels. We have raised our children, giving them a gold star for eating their dinner and cleaning their rooms. We have tried so hard to protect them from the world that they're dumbstruck when something actually bad happens. Friends, here's what Paul is telling us. Here's what Scripture says. Life is hard, man. Life is struggle. And what Paul learned in his fights with God and himself is that he learned in all things to trust Jesus. He learned to lean on him, just like you will. That Jesus has the power to save where we cannot save ourselves. Did you notice Paul says, I've fought the fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. That word does not mean what you think it means. That word for faith does not mean that you believe in God. God does not care if you believe that he exists or not. Jesus says this very thing. You believe you have faith? Great. Even the demons believe and they shudder. That word for faith there is a really cool word. It's the word pistis in Greek, and it means trust. In his fight with God and his fight with himself, Paul has learned the most important lesson that any of us will ever learn, that God is trustworthy. And trust is Built with people or with God by relying on them and seeing if they keep their word. Paul's epitaph is not, he was a great guy. He did a lot of really good things. Look at me. No. Paul says, man, I learned it, I fought the fight. I I kept the faith, trust in Jesus. And all I did was my duty. So here's a question for you. Do you trust Jesus? He doesn't care if you believe in him. He cares if you trust him. That's the key. Here's a challenge for you. And this is a real one. I want you to think about this today when you're watching football or maybe after football, whatever. (laughs) But here's a question for you. This is is a worthwhile exercise. What will your tombstone say? If you had to summarize your entire life in one sentence, what would that sentence be? If you've never thought about it before, for God's sake, think about it. Because the words on your tombstone will determine how you live now. My dad used to say, if you don't know where you're going, you'll never get there. If you don't know your goal, you'll never achieve it. What will the words be on your tombstone? There are few people in history more influential than Paul of Tarsus. He was the greatest evangelist and teacher and debater and theologian and church planter in all of history. But Paul is most notably a pastor. And there are few figures in human history, very, very few, more influential than him. But at the end of his life, what he said was, man, life is tough. I fought the fight, and I've learned to trust Jesus in all of it. So friends, do you trust Jesus? Are you doing your duty are you being the Christian man or woman that God has placed in your context with your family, your friends, your co workers, your church? God's placed you where you are on purpose. Are you doing your duty? Are you trusting in Him? Are you learning more and more that the world is, the life is a fight, but it's a fight that teaches you to trust Jesus more and more? Friends, here's a question for you this morning What will your stone say? Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for Paul, who fought the good fight, who kept the faith, who wrestled with you, who wrestled with himself, who fought the good fight and wrestled until he met Jesus, who freed him, who saved him. Help us, Lord, to live lives of purpose and meaning. Help us, Lord, to fight the good fight and to do our duty and learn to trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.